Hi everyone. It's a busy wrap up the end of the school year. It's been fun and fabulous. And I have so many great podcasts that I'm scheduling in the weeks ahead for you. But for right now, I'm looking back through the archives because I want to kick off summer and a new mindset for you for summer. And I don't think I could replicate this magnificent podcast that we did Uh, episode 85 it was back with Stephanie Englander about unplugging and for me because I've known her family for over a decade I know how magnificent it is to have old-fashioned summer vacations getaways trips time in oceans and in nature and in close quarters with family and friends And I think it changes us, and I think you'll hear that in the podcast as well. And Stephanie's family has the unique experience of unplugging from technology on a weekly basis because they celebrate Shabbat. So they have tools and experiences and wisdom that they have to share with the rest of the world that um, we can all learn great, great, great insights from. So here's episode number 85 called Unplugging, Taking Breaks from Tech Devices and from Tech Connectedness. Enjoy, and I'll see you next week. Today's podcast is Unplugging, Taking Breaks from Tech Devices and Tech Connectedness. Summer used to designate a different season with a change of routine and a change of pace. It meant time away from school schedules and busyness, closing books, and getting outside. I have a very special guest at the square table who is my summer hero. For over a decade, her family unplugs from their usual daily commitments and reconnects with each other at an ideal summer getaway. I'm speaking with my friend and colleague, Stephanie Englander, who is the mother of three, an inspiring educator, and married to one of the rabbis here at B'nai Torah Congregation. She knows personally and professionally the realities of unplugging. I'm truly looking forward to this conversation with her about unplugging for summer break and also for weekly Shabbat. Stephanie knows how unplugging shapes us as individuals, shapes our play, and shapes our families. Welcome, Stephanie. Let's start with what you wanted for your family for their summer experiences. Hi, great to be here. I'm so happy. (laughs) It's just you and me. So I would say that uh, we've had uh, the amazing opportunity to uh, prioritize outdoor family time together by uh, going up north to Massachusetts and Cape Cod. Uh, okay, so you have three children. How old were they when you began this? We began this right before our daughter was born, actually. So I remember our first summer was when I was expecting our first daughter. So. Wow. Right from the beginning, literally. <laughs> so it was a family. Tra- it was the family tradition. Family tradition, which has been now. We are coming up on our sixteenth summer of wow. doing this. Yeah. Okay, so you go to Cape Cod. So we spend our summers up in Cape Cod, um, on a lake, very far away from all things and all people that we know. So we really do get away from it all. And your parents are there, and yes, which so creates a, an amazing yeah, so connection. It's a, definitely an intergenerational experience um, in very cozy quarters, which makes for a lot of family bonding. Wow. Okay, so describe the, the, the length of time for the summer and then what the summer activities are like. Sure. Uh, so I would say our best run is a month. Um, as the kids are getting a little older, it's, it's shifting a little bit, but we always get at least a good two or three weeks in up there. Um, and 
the act what I think is really special is that the activities have become tradition. So while their ages have changed over the years and they're a few years apart from each other, they um, the activities have not changed and they've come to become uh, things they really look forward to. So we are very close to a lake, very close to a beach, very close to good old-fashioned bumper boats <laughs> and trampolines out in the parking lot. And um, there are a lot of very easy uh hiking trails around lakes, which you can do with really young children. So we started with them yeah. really young. Uh, blueberry picking, uh, just all that good summer fun. Did it happen easily? Was the transition from, I mean, from coming from South Florida, where everybody's got schedules and commitments and you're in programs, did it feel like you had to go through like a detox? I think each summer we all feel like it takes a little time to unwind and um, get used to slowing down. And I think Were you nervous about that, or was that something you took too naturally? I think it, I still find, even now, I think for all of us, just the transition time to unwind and from being so scheduled, it, it takes a few days. Um, it also takes a few days to get used to being together all the time. Right. Because we all, even when they were little, they were in preschool and now they're in they're in elementary school and now they're older and we're not all together all the time and we're both working and so it gets um, it gets really busy and then all of a sudden we're all together and that takes time to get used to again. Can you explain the two worlds, um, the family life in your regular mm, August or September through June to versus summer where your family isn't together all the time and you have these roles to play mm-hmm. so that everybody, you know, everybody's in different parts of the house, everybody's got their own stuff mm-hmm. to then being in this very connected small space. Okay. Well, I think something I'm going to jump off of that you just said was um, everyone in our house has their own room. And um, so I'm going to talk about that for a minute because I think that's really special about this time together um, is, you know, the kids have, and, you know, it's a link in the technology, the kids have their devices from school and they each have their own spaces they live in at home. And um, so we go from that where we're all up and go and everybody's lives are running and, you know, baseball practice and soccer practice and clubs and, you know, we're not, we don't overdo that too much, but we do um, have pretty busy lives and we're both, as I said, my David's rabbi and I'm teaching and so a busy busy year um, to um, driving down the road um, headed to Cape Cod when we know we make that turn and you just get that feeling in your stomach where you're like okay it's all gonna be good and we pass the lake and everybody in the car gets very quiet and we just get very reminiscent of that feeling that nice. we remember summer to summer and we drive up to the house and we open the door and there are the two small rooms where we move in for the summer, one for us and one for the kids. So the three of them move in together. Bed, cot, bed, close quarters. (laughs) Um, And on the other side is their uncle and their grandparents. And that's it. (laughs) And we have a little... little, little yard with very little grass and... So I think that unplugging um, requires skill. I mean, because now you're in close close quarters. Now, if somebody's annoying, you can't just right. put them back in their box or right. send them to their room. Mm-hmm. You you have to. You it's a whole different way. It's a different pace. It's a different way of interacting. Mm-hmm. How? What's the secret? 
Uh, it's, I think, finding things to do together is a big part of it. So we, um, as we shared, we do fairly limited technology when we're there. So there, there is a TV and they, they do have their devices there. We all have them, but we really are very conscious of keeping it to a minimum. Um, and we are outdoors a lot. So eating outdoors and carving out the day where we're outside a lot. So one part of the day is always by the lake and one part of the day is always an activity. But we talk about and plan and schedule how to get outside. And I think by spending time together doing things, you we make that transition together to learn to spend time together. And it's good for us. And it's okay that it's annoying because we learn to know each other. And to ride through that. Yes. Right, right, right. And it was, you know, it, and the kids on their end, they don't sleep well the first few nights. They're not used to being together and the sounds they make and they get used to it. And they learn. I And then I, I think they come to, uh, it, I don't know if they like it, but it has become very but fond memories. There's no question <laughs> that they like it. I mean, so. you see it in their eyes. You see it in the anticipation. And you see it in the stories that they come back and tell mm-hmm. after. Um, it is something that can't be replicated yes. in and their I, regular lives. Yes, and I think one thing that's special is I think they know each other very well because of this. So I think... I, you know, when we're home and everyone's in their own space and everybody's texting their friends now and they're watching their movies or whatever it is they're doing, we're not together. Right, right. But when we're there and they're sharing a space and they, they know each other, even the things that, you know, might bug each other or might be things they bond over and things they find out they have enjoyed to do together or have in common, it's because they're together. Yeah. So. I really, really think that unplugging changes families. Um, if we can, if we're brave enough to go through the messiness, mm-hmm. but I think that's the hard part mm-hmm. is helping people feel comfortable embracing the emotional mess, the physical mess, because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're outside or whether you're cooking together, I mean, there's going to be, whether you're doing art, there's it's mm-hmm. it gets messy. Mm-hmm. And people make a lot of um, accidental messes <laughs> that, that are very inconvenient. Mm-hmm. Um and I think maybe unplugging gives you time. If, if, is there more time? How, describe how time changes. Um, because I think if you're, not, if you're unplugged and you're not in a schedule and you, and you eliminate some of the normal distractions and interruptions and obligations, then you have a different pace to your mm-hmm. day. Um, and, and as someone whose family also celebrates Shabbat, I think you have that experience at least once a week mm-hmm. where you, where time, it does time change. So I, I think, does, I think some days feel long and I think I've learned to appreciate that. So because you have all this time put aside and you're not pulled in a lot of directions, um, for Shabbat, it's the same as the summer, which is... We have the day, and we have the day to fill, and we're not going anywhere, and we have each other, and we find things to do, and sometimes it's resting, and sometimes it's playing, and sometimes it's being outside, and sometimes people sitting around reading. Um, it's The day feels long, and I think that's something we don't take enough time to appreciate often. I think and nobody I've learned knows to, that. And I think I have come to appreciate that. I think that uh, our kids are learning how to fill their time. They don't need to be entertained. I think they during the week are happy to be entertained, but I think it's great for them that 
they know once a week and they know in their summers, they have to figure out how to entertain themselves okay. and be together and fill time. That time is long. In a world <laughs> where we feel like the biggest commodity that we don't have enough of is time, then I want to say, imagine that we can give ourselves this gift of too much time mm-hmm. that's going to be really scary and anxiety producing. <laughs> so, so my two questions combined or separated, how did you handle boredom when they mm-hmm. were little? And then how have they learned to play? As a mom and as an educator, I know you have um, the vision, the resources, and the observation to know that your children have this gift of play that exceeds the norm of our society. So I think, and uh, I don't want to speak for him, but I think uh, their dad or their Abba taught him you know, you don't get bored. <laughs> and I think that he's been a great role model. So he just said that straight up. Yes, I think he, I'm, he, he and he, he said, he, he spoke for himself, but he doesn't get bored. He finds something to do. He's happy for the time. I think he was a great role model for all of us. Um, and I think a lot of great little routines of play came out of this time. So, um, look, not every child is, um, finds imagination easy. Um, pretend play easy. Right. So you have one child that's yes. very imaginative. Right. So actually two out of three pretend play came very naturally and one um, not in the way you would think. But so for for that child, I would say it was interesting to watch him fill time differently than for the two that were like, let's play house and let's, you know, make a kitchen and all these school and all these, you know, ways. And kids. Legos mm-hmm. and stories and characters. Sure. And, yeah. So that I would say was a, a, what I would think is a more traditional way you would think a kid can fill time and play. Um, characters coming alive, stories happening in their heads, um, interacting with each other. But uh, I think more interesting was to watch the one who didn't gravitate towards imaginative play, but learned to play in a different way. Um, You know, one who could throw a ball at a wall and uh, nonstop, but that's him thinking and pondering and talking to somebody while he's doing that. And I've come to to learn that that's... uh, his time well spent for him and that's his downtime and that's his play and that's how he sits and talks and interacts and so um you know little memories of them taking every puzzle in the house and making a puzzle factory they'll always remember the puzzle factories and (laughs) i remember the the toy the toy hospital i remember all those sure and they took movies out of scenes out of movies and boxes and recreated and um but you have to take time to do those things, and and that's the gift of the time is you have to stop to be able to pause and let the imagination soar and work together to do those things. How did you, as being a teacher, make that easier for you, and what did you learn through your teacher sense right. so that you could help them or allow them to create that play experience? So I think it's um, changing things up was really big. I knew from, you know, my years in early childhood and now in uh, elementary school that changing the materials around, changing what's around them, shifting out toys, bringing out unexpected items, um, you know, just gave them a new glance and a new look at things, uh, sometimes paired to what was happening during the year. Okay, so flipping it back to, well, well, both for summer for and for Shabbat, did, does that mean it was more work for you? 
And what part of that work did you come to easily and what part did you have to learn? I'm curious what you mean by the word work. <laughs> because I could imagine listeners going, what do you mean change the, 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 the materials? I mean, it was you actually, did you, what might have come naturally for you as an educator right. meant, could mean to a parent that I'm supposed to do something, that right. I'm supposed to create these opportunities, that I'm supposed to know something mm -hmm. about how to make this successful. Got it. And, and that could feel tedious, overwhelming, sure. and like work. Absolutely. Well, I think, um, I think watching your kids and knowing your kids and, and is important. So my, I'll just share a story. I think that for a listener, that's what it's about. So for a very long time, my youngest son was pretty obsessed with Toy Story. And so that's what his imagination was. That's how he liked to play. So on Shabbat, you know, it was boxes and a garbage truck and, and taking some of those characters. And it's just knowing that that would connect to him. So it wasn't anything that took a teacher hat necessarily, but knowing his interests and giving him the tools to be able to take that play to the next step. Okay, yeah. and I know this is um, um, the, 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 the question, like who would ask this question, but my question then is, so in some way for Shabbat, when they were all young, uh, did you ha did you actually think like oh I need this for one child I need this for one child I no. need this for one child, or did you just have it around the house and at some point when they were hitting a boredom threshold right. and they were already told you can't be bored well like you would just sort of pull it out of the hat uh, so does, is, right. is it natural or is it effort? so I can't say that. I was thinking, oh, like a lesson plan of a teacher, I'm now going to plan my Shabbat with my kids. I think, you know, it's just like I think most parents, you, you know what your kids are interested in. And I hear lots of parents say, oh, my kid's obsessed with cars. And, yeah. well, you probably have a lot of little matchbox cars in your house if that's your kid. So I think, um, you know, just the rhythms of the day. So you have all this time, and this is what I spoke about before, and I'll go back to our summer. It's looking at the day. So whether it's in our house, it's Shabbat. So for us, there's time where we're at the synagogue, and then it's time we're having lunch, and then it's time we're outside, and maybe we're going to play this. It's looking at the day and, and the rhythms of the day and going back to the boredom. Well, there's also a scheduled time where it's not scheduled, and they. it was very important for us to teach them to f decide what to do with their time. So it's not, I don't, I don't want anyone to listen to think, oh, that's so much work. I have to schedule all this stuff. Like, it's not necessarily. I mean, if they have something to do, and we did it with them for a while, like the box with the Toy Story, or if we went for a walk, then there was time where we didn't uh, entertain them. Right, and right. we left them to figure out, well, what can I do with my time? And it's a hard thing. It's an uncomfortable thing. I think it's very uncomfortable for grown-ups. Yes. And I think I think once the grown-ups get comfortable with that anxiety, mm -hmm. that allows the children mm -hmm. to really just open up to it. Mm -hmm. But I think we're the I think we're the part that gets in the way. Because we're very fast-paced and yeah. we um, always think what are we doing next? And I think sometimes and and I you know, I'm with you listeners on well what do I need to do with them next? You know, and people think how do I keep them busy? And like all things, I think you have to look at it little pieces at a time. So we didn't leave them for hours on end with nothing to do. We would do something, and then there would be a lull, and they would kind of wander. And yes, they might bug each other, or they might complain a little bit, but they got through it. And then they well, what what do you think you might want to do? 
you know, and just little by little, longer by longer. And now they've grown so pretty much occupy themselves for a good amount of time. But you can't expect that of yourself and I think of kids. But if you look at it as short goals, like, okay, let's see if we give them 10 minutes, what they'll do with their time. Let's watch and let's see and watch and, and notice and give them that opportunity to just be. I'm not very good at just being. Just being. And this is what I want. I mean, I mean, of course, your summers are magical, but we also live in Florida. So whether it's, you know, walking on the beach or just filling and spilling those buckets of sand mm-hmm. or whether it's a gravel pit in a pool, a, 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 a child pool mm-hmm. in your backyard, you know, there are so many places, watering cans. There's, you know, water, dirt, it's air absolutely. pretty much can fill a significant amount of time for children. Um, and I, just... I think it's huge. I think one of my favorite memories, and my children, I don't know if they'll want me to say this, but they still do this, and they're teenagers, um, is they always run outside to our patio when it's raining yeah. with cups and umbrellas, and it's still fun. It's, it's so it's much fun. It's still fun. And when they were younger, and I do believe that South Florida especially has incredible parks with these opportunities to just go and be outside and play and it just be again to just be and watch them and and time them see how long they last it would surprise you if you had to do something notice notice how long they really can do it and maybe and then the challenge that i want to put out there for everybody is if that means taking our devices and putting them in the basket or putting Mm -hmm. them up on the kitchen counter for an hour Mm -hmm. and just saying, look, I'm not going to check for a bit. Mm -hmm. There won't be an emergency Mm -hmm. for this amount of time. I mean, I just heard an amazing um, story on NPR about how technology is creates in us this anxiety that if we're not if we're not accessible, then someone might be in danger and that we're actually now living under this code yellow that says if we're disconnected, it means crisis. And and it, we have to find a way to put our technology aside so that we can then time our children or give <laughs> ourselves that little bit of time away from mm-hmm. something that is very physically addicting. Mm-hmm. And so if we could do it for an hour here, an hour there, and then let your children see us completely engaged with them, mm-hmm. where our eyes aren't shifting to check a device or listening to a ping, mm-hmm. then I think we, we will feed in them that freedom. Sure. And they're it. watching us. And they're actually watching. an educator I just you know spent some time with recently talked about her wish for um, as an educator for families this summer was to read with your children because if they see you reading, they will maybe yes. want to read. And that's one of her wishes. And I thought this is the same as being unplugged or being outside. Exactly. If they see us spending time walking outside on the beach or taking a hike in a nature preserve, which we have beautiful beautiful opportunities here for um or putting down our phones and, and then they will see that that's that's okay to be normal and that we're we're present and it's hard and it's I, I i totally understand the feeling of missing out and the emergency feeling but um there as as my grandmother said you know there were many many decades where uh, you didn't even know where people were they were out in the neighborhood and, and they were also it worked out <laughs> and this idea that if they can see us unplugging if, if we could, that if we don't interrupt that by taking a photo, 
because mm-hmm. that's the other problem is we're, we're all we all want to record and document mm-hmm. our lives so um, we want to be proud of what our children are doing and when they're making that great fort or when they've done something magnificent that's very sciency on the patio in the rain mm-hmm. to be able to say okay I can celebrate this without um, posting it mm-hmm. um, at least today or at least you know uh, for Shabbat it's that 24 hours mm-hmm. where you don't have to document anything and so even if it's just for a certain amount of time in a day or one day a week or a part of a summer vacation everything doesn't have to be shared maybe well what I would say to that is um, I would challenge people and I've challenged myself to do this um, is once in a while the memory is how it felt not how it looked yeah, yeah. And, um, okay, how do you keep the memories and the family stories? Because now you've done this for 16 years for summer and certainly as many years of Shabbat. How do you keep the memories and the stories without documenting? I, I again, I just, there, there's still parts of us that enjoy reminiscing and remember how it looked to us and felt to us and they stay with you. And I really, I love when, you know, I'm going to say this. Um, my children are getting ready to go to sleepaway camp and right now the dinner table conversations are um, a lot about telling my younger one what it's like there and there's no technology at sleepaway camp and it has been so fun hearing them reminisce and talk about the rainy night with the when the play was going on and how they had the nighttime activity with the mud races and how they have the basketball tournament and all of those memories that many many children have um, the opportunity to do are done without technology and those are the stories they tell and and they're the stories that we most tell in our family i think come from the moments we're remembering not documenting i love to take pictures everybody knows that um love it and i love the memory books that we make and at their milestones to here are the pictures from the year for this birthday that stuff is very 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 special but i think um it's how you see it versus how you feel it. And I think when you take out the technology and you unplug the memory, it becomes how you felt. And I think our family has feelings about the intergenerational summer or the Saturday afternoon doing the puzzles or the time in the pool, you know, splashing around with the toys. It's, uh, I, it feels good. <laughs> it, it's, I think that just blows me away because I think that is the why that under, underlies all of this. Because if we can raise children with that deep feeling and those families with deep feeling connections and they can own those stories because they genuinely mean something and had a sensory connection to them, it's, 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 very, it's a very different world. And the idea that we can give ourselves and our children these experiences by taking some time to unplug and facing down the, the anxiety and the boredom um, and the fear of missing out mm-hmm. um, th- that, that you might have that you're not knowing what somebody's doing out there. Um, I think it's, it's an amazing gift. So I'm going to ask you to change your hats to teach your hat. Okay. <laughs> and um, an amazing educator from a family of educators. Um, how does this change them as learners, as citizens of the world, sure, and um, their future? I think, um, and uh, I, I speak as a elementary school teacher, I think that kids playing, the kids experiencing things 
themselves, creating these memories, seeing how it feels to do these things. Um, I think those kids write the best stories when they get their journals and they really bring themselves to their writing um, as they develop. I think that they connect. Um, text to self is a really big education concept now. Um, we ask kids a lot to read a story and then how does this relate to you? And then we also say text to world and globally, what does this mean to the world you live in? And by living in the moment a little bit and by growing up making these connections and relationships and opportunities and connecting to nature and being outside and again, seeing how things feel and taking that time and reflecting on it and talking about it and reminiscing about it, I think it helps them connect to stories that they're going to read. Um, and characters that they're going to discover. And even as they learn real nonfiction things that they have to learn about in science and social studies and the world, they connect it. It becomes very meaningful because they've lived it and, and really understand it. And what is the disadvantage of children who have the overscheduled, overconnected um, experiences? Um, what, I think it's I, in I that think, text to self and text to mm -hmm. world example. Where do they where do they struggle? Where might they struggle? Well, I I don't know if they're taking the time to know what they think about it. I think they're being kept very busy, and I think they're getting a lot out of those opportunities. But if you're running, 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 are you taking time to think? How did I feel about that? What did I get about that? And it's a and sometimes, and I don't I don't know people's choices, but sometimes I feel that success is defined by the activity and well you you won the soccer game and you but there's not a lot of openness to it. Well you didn't, you know, create the game or, you know, where if you're outside on a field with friends making up a game, it's very different than being on a soccer team. Okay, so there's point number two. My <laughs> the big one that's blowing me away is the feeling connection. The second is openness. And if you could have just seen Stephanie like do this motion, because <laughs> What, what it says to me is that when we unplug, and, and, and it can't just be for summers. I mean, that's why this, this has to be a, an ongoing process because the reason I think your summers are so magnificent, in addition to being the family that you are and, and the, your parents as they are and the location as magnificent as it is, it's that I think that you as a family cultivate an unpluggingness through your weekly Shabbats. I mean, I think that that, that that pace, that change, that connection, that time, that time for reflection, for, for sharing, all of that changes everything and everyone. But so what you just described is when you, when you have this, it's not just a gift of unplugging, it's this gift of time and space and that every experience gets connected in very, very different ways to yourself and to the world and to every other experience that you will have. Sure. So that openness, can you say anything more about that openness to, to that meaningness? Well, I mean, I think the other thing I just want to add is that I think that um, when we're so busy, I find students and children are sort of left wondering, what am I doing next? And... I think that if we don't give them time to find something to do next or just think or just breathe or be or walk or just be alone with their thoughts, and again, that meaningful openness connected to this, just giving yourself time to uh, think. I think it, it's 
healthy. And I think it helps kids learn who they are and reflect. I think I'm very big on reflection right now, but reflecting on how things are going for them and knowing who they are and their bodies. And when they're very entertained all the time, I don't know if we're giving them enough time to discover that openness of who they are and who they're becoming. And um, it's hard. It's Hard to learn how to relax and we think. We can't give this up. We just <laughs> no. can't. And, and and so the other thing that I feel is, um, you know, that disconnect to not knowing um, who you are, to not being able to make those choices, to lead this very accelerated life, is is taking away a humanity mm-hmm. that we're that we all want to mm-hmm. share and we're all missing mm-hmm. and we're all struggling with it mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's children bring it to us because they're good in the moment they are so present um, and transparent mm-hmm. um, with whatever that means mm-hmm. so it's and I think they get to know themselves and we get to know them doing that together I mean one of my favorite stories is yeah. they um, a parent was telling me that her she went on a walk with her son and he kept focusing on this drain pipe <laughs> and she thought but I took you all the way here and he was yeah. very focused on the drain pipe but it was fascinating and it's just had they not gone on that walk had they not had that moment you know she wouldn't have seen the world through his eyes and she appreciate I'm so happy she shared that she appreciated that moment but they sat there for a very long time and who knows what he was thinking? Because who knows what that leads to? That he when they find it on their own, mm-hmm. it has a different meaning Absolutely. than when somebody points and says, Absolutely. "And what color is that? And mm-hmm. what's happening over there?" And look at you right. know, like those of us that are over talking teachers, you know, like we we tend to share our exuberance mm-hmm. over our observations, sure. but we have to temper that with listening to them mm-hmm. and seeing where their attention right. goes. I think there's so much. I mean, that pause and that openness. I mean, it reminds me of a book that I've always loved called Daydreamers. But there's also research that says that daydreaming is a vital activity for us to find ourselves, to connect with ourselves, to to make those choices, to then give space for processing all of that we're trying to integrate and incorporate and synthesize in our brains. Mm -hmm. It's almost like sleep. I mean, we need that just so that we can process and and take that knowledge and experience to a deeper place. And it is a place of renewal, um, which, like you said, the bo- our bodies mm-hmm. are physically exhausted mm-hmm. from living on that mm-hmm. rat's wheel. Sure. Um, anyways, uh, I, I'm, I, just, I just want to shake the world <laughs> and say, do this and do it. Any which way you want. Start small. Start for a few minutes. It, it, and make it a little less uncomfortable. Yeah. That's what I would say. You have to go through the uncomfortable. Yes. Un- the, the uncomfortable. You know, and I know you talk a lot about things being messy and uncomfortable before they get there. And I would say I really think it's worth a try, for yeah. sure. It's, it changed our lives, for sure. I love it. And I love that I got to, to see and watch your journey through this because... It has inspired me to want everyone to know it. So the wrap-up is always the same. Okay. And it's how have you got this um, in terms of unplugging, and in terms of um, that, that disconnecting from devices. What do you know about yourself and your family and uh, your kids? I know that it's worth it, and I know that it wasn't easy, and I know that there are many a times where I am 
wondering what is happening, as you said. They, we are all slightly addicted. Um, but then when you look over, and again, going back to the memories, knowing now that we've invested all these moments, it's worth it. And we know ourselves, and we know our family, and we know our children differently because of it. And uh, that's a gift for a lifetime. It's 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 available to everyone to have that depth and that and that joy, that openness, and that um, that sense, and and the feeling connecting to our own lives and each other's lives with our hearts. Thank you, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. So that's the mess for today. We appreciate you listening to See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. Seeing little people learn and grow, listening to parents taking a crazy, uncertain journey, loving the fun and loving the mistakes. You write the rules, you write your story. We just want to be part of the conversation. But in the end, we know you got this. We'll catch you next week. Take care. Wait, wait, wait. One more thing. If you liked our podcast, please tell a friend. Or even better, write us a review at iTunes. We'd also like to invite you to join us on Facebook. That's with me, Karen Deerwester. And check out the parenting resources at FamilyTimeInc.com. You'll also find us on Twitter at at FamilyTimeInc and Instagram at Karen underscore Family Time. Thanks for listening today. Thanks to everyone at B'nai Torah Congregation for this wonderful space. Thanks to Darren Littman for the great intro. And thanks to the front and the follow for the song Listen. We are listening. See you next week.